0: In Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Raise your hand if you're familiar. Have you heard of Murphy's Law. Somebody didn't raise a hand. I didn't see hands go up. Let me try it again. Have you heard of Murphy's Law? Okay, that's everybody. All right. The original Murphy, get this, was an engineer who conducted an experiment to test human acceleration tolerances. Unfortunately, he installed 16 motion sensors the wrong way. That's what led to the now famous quote, If anything can go wrong, anybody know the rest? It will. Here are some other laws blamed on Mr. Murphy. Left to themselves, things can tend to go from bad to worse. Matter will be damaged in direct proportion to its value. You will never find, that's true. You will never find a lost article until you replace it. That is so stinking true. <laughs> it is. Everything goes wrong all at once. Every, if, it, if everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. And I want to add one to this list. I want to add one. and You'll probably say amen to this one. If there are two people in the entire gym, your lockers will be right next to one another. Isn't that the truth? I I notice it all the time. So if you've been with us in the book of Nehemiah, you know that chapter one, Nehemiah is told that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, and the people are in great distress. In chapter two, he requested from the king to King Artaxerxes to be sent, to be safe, and to be supplied. The king granted his request and gave him an army for its protection, and timber for building. Last week in chapter 3, we looked at the walls, and we discovered there's a direct correlation between the Christian walk and the walls of Jerusalem. It was a fascinating study, I thought. Uh, Last week, we talked about the fact that nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, we... See the struggle the Jewish people face while trying to build those walls. If you're taking notes, chapter 4, we'll see the people are faced with discouragement. In chapter 5, the people are faced with division. The struggle is discouragement in chapter 4. The struggle is division in chapter 5. And finally, in chapter 6, the trouble is distraction. Discouragement. Division and distraction, all tools of the enemy. When you set your heart to serving the Lord, and I think you know this, when you set your heart to serving the Lord, there will be adversity. Uh, You can say a better amen than that. uh, Because there's a war going on. And Christianity is a battleground, not a playground. And building and battling go hand in hand. You should write that down. Building and battling go hand in hand. The good news is that Jesus is our strong tower. He's our shield. He's our buckler. He's our rock of, offense, rock of defense. And in the final analysis, we have the victory because Jesus already got the victory over sin and sickness and Satan and death and disease and the devil. We know that. So chapter 4, Murphy's Law shows up for Nehemiah. If anything can go wrong, it certainly will. I've titled this sermon, Building and Battling. Nehemiah chapter 4, saints, we pick up in verse 1. Let's read a, a couple of six verses, and then we'll come back and have some comments. How about that? Nehemiah chapter 4, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, let me hear you say a hearty amen. amen. And so it happened. When Sambalat, well, some people say Sambalat, when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even a fox goes up on it. He'll break it down, this stone wall. And Nehemiah said, he prayed, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity, and do not cover their sin, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so we built the wall, Nehemiah says, and the entire wall was joined together up to its half height for the people. What's the rest of it say, saints? You should underline that in your Bible. Stop right there. But... Notice in verse one, but, but after all this work is happening, are you listening? After all this work is happening and the walls are being worked on, but it so happened in verse one. You know, I was looking at that this morning. And I thought, you know, this to me kind of sums up life. It really does. But it so happened. It seems your life's going along and you're doing your thing, and it so happened. Verse 1, it so happened when Sambalat heard they were actually moving forward and building the project, he was furious and indignant. The word furious means hot to the point of boiling. Indignant means to the point of rage. Sambalot heard the buildings going forward, and he's hot, and he's in a rage, and he mocked the Jews. Now, isn't this just like the devil? Remember I told you that Samballot and Tobiah represent the devil? You're going to meet some new guys tonight. The Arab, well, he's not so new. And um, we'll meet another guy tonight. Um, uh, he's an Ashdodite. We'll read about him. And these guys represent the enemy. These guys represent the devil. So isn't that just like the devil? The devil reacts the same way when you decide you want to rebuild some broken areas in your life. You want to rebuild your marriage, and he's furious and in a rage. You want a deeper commitment to the Lord, and he's furious and in a rage. You decide it's time for change and time to get serious about God, and Satan's furious and in a rage. The enemy will will become furious and indignant and try to actively stop you. So Samballot becomes indignant. And if you fast forward to verse 8, it tells us that they conspire together. Look at verse 8. They conspire together. Now, we've established in previous studies that Samballot, and if you're taking notes, you write this down, Samballot is from Samaria. He's a Samaritan. And that's north. Tobiah was an Ammonite or is an Ammonite in our story. And get this, the Samaritans, very interesting, and the Ammonites, they hated each other. Verse 7 tells us that they joined up with the Arabs and the Ashdodites. Now, were you here on Sunday? We talked about the city of Ashdod. And remember, they had taken the ark of God, and God gave them what? Isn't that great? God gave him hemorrhoids. I love that story. I don't know why. It's just so like God. Of all the things that God could do, God could, like, take an arm off. He could take a head off. He could, like, make you a frog. He could do anything. But what does God do? He gives you hemorrhoids. Just like God. Do something that you're like, what? Ouch. So the Ashdodites and and all of these guys are enemies of Israel. But do you notice this? All of a sudden, all of Israel's enemies are friends to stop the work. So Sam Ballad is furious. He begins to mock Israel with a bunch of questions in verse 2. And it's a sarcastic tone. I tried to read it with a sarcastic tone because that's what it is. What are these feeble Jews doing? In other words, you guys are carpenters and, and, and cupbearers and perfumers and goldsmiths. They don't have building skills. Will they fortify themselves? Oh, you think you're going to build strong walls? Foxes will walk on them, and they'll fall like a house of cards. It's almost like these guys sound like little kids. Like, oh, the foxes will walk on your walls, and your, your house, will, your, the walls will fall like cards or something. Nah, 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 you know, like little kids. He's mocking them and taunting them. He asks, "Will they offer sacrifice. You think you're going to build and get back to worshiping God? It's not going to happen. Will they complete it in a day Or you think it's going to be easy? It's going to be hard. It's going to be long and people are going to stop working. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. Again, Satan will do this to you and me. Try to cause discouragement because there's a traitor within. What do you mean, Rodney? Listen, for some people... It doesn't take much for Satan to discourage you. Satan will tell you you're not qualified to do this, and then you start to agree. Yeah, you know, you're right. I'm not, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not qualified to do this. And, and how many times have you heard me say that God is not looking for qualified people, and God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. But Satan will say, "Oh, you're not qualified," and you start agreeing with him. You're your worst enemy. Remember, I told you about the guy who, some time ago, I remember we first started the church, and he told me. He said, um, "I don't know what was up with this guy, but I mean, we've been through it, y'all." And and he, I, I'll never forget, he wanted to have a meeting with me, and at the time, the church had fifty people or whatever. And uh, so I had time to have a meeting. Now, if you want to have a meeting with me, it's not going to happen. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Maybe not. I I mean, I am kidding. It 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 just would take a little longer now. But so this guy, he says, uh, he has a meeting with me, a meeting. And he says, well, you know, I just want to sit down and talk to you. You know, I have, he pulls out a yellow, you know, those yellow legal pads. I kid you, I would never forget this in my life. He had a yellow legal pad, and on it he had 76 things written down that I did wrong. And he's like, well, I have 76 things written down that that I have noticed that you did wrong. And I'm like, I'm looking at him like, man, that's that's good. (laughs) I'm thinking that's good. I mean, anybody that can be that detailed and, and focus on me that much, that's really good. I mean, we should put you in to work in some area of detailed ministry or something. That's kind of, you know, good and and stalkerish. But, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to think. So I said, really? 76 things? Really? He goes, yeah. And he started listing them off, man. He's going, I let him go because I thought this is interesting. And so, I, I mean, I sat there. I let him. Yeah, really? Oh, wow. He got to the end of it. I said, you know what? Honestly, I cannot begin to answer that list of things that you have Against it. I, Honestly, it came, I don't even know where to start. And one of the major things was, I remember he said, You know, I just really don't feel like you know what you're doing. <laughs> I said to him, I don't, <laughs> duh. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like <laughs> I don't, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing, and and I'm, I was honest with him. I didn't. I've never been a pastor before. I didn't. I didn't come up in ministry. I, you know, some. You know, people talk about discipleship, and I want to come under your wing, and I want to, you know, learn from you, and all this stuff. Nothing like that ever happened to me. I mean, honestly, I was working one day, and then I was in North Carolina as a pastor. That's how it happened. So I showed up, I did not know what I was doing. He tells me I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, tell me something I don't know. Of course I don't know what I'm doing. Of course, he didn't have much to say after that. I I went, duh, he goes, well. What can you say? I agree with him. I didn't know, but I, I understood that God called me here. And I understood that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. That's me. I understood that. And and, and I, I, I walked in that and I trusted in that and I leaned upon that. You know, I've learned in ministry that, you know, critics have their own club. Isn't that true? You need to write that down. Critics have their own club. And critics like critics and they seem to find each other. Isn't that true? Critics don't go to people who aren't critics. Critics find other critics, and they do what critics do, criticize. And it's unfortunate because in the church, the church is full of critics, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that everybody knows best. Everybody knows best in the church. And here I'm the pastor, and I'll be the first to tell you, I do not know. Please save me and you an appointment. Do not tell me you don't think I know what I'm doing. I don't. Question answered. We don't even need to deal with that. But everybody else knows. Listen, I'm a senior pastor, and I'm telling you, I don't know. Now, if I don't know... Please don't flatter yourself. I honestly could not trust that you know if I don't know. If God hadn't told me, why would He tell you so you could tell me? What is this? Where are my people at? (laughs) I'm telling you, it's lunacy. The ministry is lunacy. It's crazy, and it's full of critics, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that you Christians, we shoot our wounded. If people come to you and say, oh, brother, you know, I need prayer in this area. And you go, oh, really? Really? Oh, well, that's just too bad. <laughs> Isn't it true? Oh, well, that's just now you've got a bullet hole. Wow. Man. And it's sad because the world, you go to the same problem, you go to the world, same problem. I'm, making, I'm joking around, but I'm making a point. You go, to the, you go to the world, same problem. Hey, you're talking to somebody at the bar, and they're half drunk or whatever, and they're d- drinking, they're putting them back. And you tell them the problem, or you tell other people in the world the problem, maybe they're not putting them back. Maybe you're just telling them the problem, and they put their arm around you and say, that's really, really sad. How can I help you? Worldly people will do that. But we come into church and we shoot our wounded when people should be able to come to church and be vulnerable. Somebody need to say amen. You need to be able. You need to be able to come to church and not feel like somebody's gonna judge you if you be honest. And how about remove the mask? People come to church and as soon as they get to the door. Shh. How you doing? Praise the Lord doing great. Ha <laughs> ha! Doing great. That's awesome. Really? Just maybe you got out of a fight with your wife. Maybe you just were on the internet that morning looking at pornography. Maybe there's problems here and problems there. You just cut somebody out on the 440. but as soon as you get to church, ha ha ha, doing great. <laughs> really. And the reason for that is that people have caused you to have to be that way because you you can't, because it's not, we don't have an environment where people can just feel free to say, hey, you know what? I need prayer. Why? Why? Here's why, specifically pray for me. No, you got to be veiled in your prayer. Well, it's just some area I'm struggling with and that's all you need to know. Well, that's fine, but it's even nicer to know that you could trust me and that I will keep it to myself. I'm not going to tell everybody else and I'm not going to criticize because I'm not in the critics club and I just want to pray for you and I want to be able to specifically call that out to the Lord on your behalf and intercede for you. But that can't happen because it's too much Criticism and gossip and judgmentalism and backbiting and sin sniffing going on in the church. Sorry. Sorry, that's not in my notes. But it's true. And we need to work on that. And the church needs to work on that. We need to work on loving people. Notice that these guys are... Representing the devil, what are you, you feeble Jews? You can't build anything. You guys are perfumers and goldsmiths and and and, and you're not qualified to do this work. And notice what Nehemiah, I love verse four. Look at it again. Nehemiah, notice his response. I love it, is prayer. Nehemiah didn't debate, he didn't form a committee, he didn't even deal with their with these enemies. He doesn't get caught up in this nonsense, and he doesn't allow the people to get caught up in this nonsense. Notice in verse 4. Nehemiah took it to the Lord in prayer he doesn't talk to them he talks to God Nehemiah said Lord hear their prayer and turn their reproach upon them and God please send them into captivity don't you love that don't you see that in the text it's right there read your Bibles right there Lord please send them into captivity as a matter of fact God while you're at it send them to hell Look at verse five. I didn't make that up. Do not cover their sin and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. God, while you're at it, let them go to hell. That's what he's saying there. And notice he says, God, don't blot out their sins. Remember their sins. You would expect Nehemiah to be much more spiritual, wouldn't you? You would, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would expect Nehemiah to say, oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No, nope. Nehemiah said, God, send them to hell. Nehemiah didn't play. Love me some Nehemiah. I do. Nehemiah didn't play. Nehemiah w- wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be the first to pray like that. I think of David. Who prayed about his enemies? If you know your Bible, you know this is right. David, a man after God's own heart, prayed, Lord, let the angels of the Lord run them down, smash their faces, and break their teeth in their mouth in Jesus' name. Right? When Jesus said, and see, look, that that even gives even more weight to when Jesus said, love your enemies. Woo! That's tough. It's difficult. Most of us are like Nehemiah and David. Nehemiah just gets straight to it. My point is: listen, the enemy is threatening, and Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah didn't put the gloves on and get in the ring with these guys. But as soon as as soon as you get in the ring, it becomes your battle. And you go from a spectator to a participant. You're saying, Lord, I can handle this. Just watch me work. No, you want the Lord to fight your battles. Like Greg Laurie says, and I love it. He says, when Satan knocks at my door, I say, Lord, would you get that? I love that. Nehemiah responds. He doesn't react because he knows it's not his wall. It's God's wall. Notice in verse six, they built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half the height for the people had a mind to work, a mind to work. It's a gift from God, and no job will ever get done until people come together with a mind to work. Now, beginning in verse 7, they change their strategy. Mockery and laughing at the Jews isn't working, so they need to change gears. Notice in verse 7, if you're looking at verse 7, I want you to say, I'm looking at it. Yes. Now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs... The Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, now get this, y'all. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with swords and spears.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times,